Hello, fellow rebel capitalists. Hope you're well back in the saddle. That's super, super sick <laughs> last week. Uh, but we're going to try to crank out a couple videos today, get right back on track tomorrow. But we've got some big news. This new bombshell report that just came out about why the banks failed in 2023. We're going to go over that report. We're going to go over another report that I discovered that is definitely applicable to this, that nobody's talking about. And then we're going to look at what's happening around the world, the global economy. We're going to connect all these dots to determine what the probability is that we have a continued banking crisis, kind of a rolling banking crisis going into 2024. Maybe that's what triggers the recession. Who knows? Let's dive right into it right now by getting over to this report from the Federal Reserve. And this is courtesy of... My good buddy Jeff Snyder and Josh gave this to me, and uh, as always, you know Jeff is getting right to the heart of the matter. And this is the Group Thirty. I don't know what that is, and I'd scroll up, but for some reason, this uh, PDF is very fickle, so I don't want to lose my place. But this is basically just uh, the, the people at the Fed uh, saying what happened with the banking system. And what can be done to fix it? <laughs> All right. So the executive summary here. They're talking about the events in March 2023. Check out the banking system in the U.S. You definitely understand that. Uh, they also talk about uh, management deficiencies at Credit Suisse. I'm glad they actually acknowledge Credit Suisse because here in the U.S. we just, you know, without Silicon Valley Bank, First Republic, and um, uh, whatever the uh, signature. Credit Suisse would have been a big, big deal. We'd still be talking about that in the United States today. But Silicon Valley uh, signature and First Republic kind of overwhelmed that. But we've got to remember that a, a huge, massive global bank crashed during that exact same time. And of course, I think that the two are definitely connected. And it goes back to risk. And when the risk increases, the liquidity dries up regardless of what the Fed is doing with their stupid programs and their balance sheets. More on that in just a moment. But then they go down to start uh, and start to summarize some of the uh, failures that happened and maybe what we can do about it moving forward. They say these failures and interventions revealed many weaknesses, many, 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 in banks and institutional frameworks. Uh, supervi supervisor supervisory failures, miscalibrated calc regulatory requirements, so what I want you to focus on as I go through the rest of this is how everything they say comes back to the Fed, how the banks did naughty, naughty banks. They didn't, uh, we need to have different regulations. We need to have different, uh, this L-O-L-R, just under simply lender of last resort. They need more tools. They need more facilities to give the banks access to all this liquidity uh, that they need to make sure that the system is stable. And they never, ever, 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 ever ask the question, why do banks need liquidity to begin with? You see, they never go down that path because either they're, they're ignorant or it puts them into a very compromising position. Because if they ask the question that why did the banks need the liquidity to begin with? Why would they need the tool when they didn't need the tool before? If you take that to its logical conclusion, where you arrive is that the banks don't need the Fed and that the Fed revolves around the banks, not vice versa. And see, if they do that, then the cat's out of the bag. Then everyone understands that this whole thing is a psyop. We'll get back to that in just a moment. So now let's go to this uh, 
We're going to go to the other side here. I'm just doing this very gingerly because for some reason when I move it, 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 it has a tendency to freeze. So to date, uh, however often, uh, okay, perspective, uh, ignoring, for example, the important contribution of the role of easy monetary policy and channels by which failures can threaten the financial stability. Uh, analysis also often assesses reform piecemeal rather than holistic and not always considering ongoing longer-term developments and structural changes. So they're saying, okay, we need to understand the banks better so that we can provide them with all these liquidity needs uh, moving forward because this is, we understand the monetary system is fluid, it's always changing, it's always evolving, and we need to make sure that we're on top of that with regulations and with tools to provide liquidity <laughs> to the banks. Again, they're just assuming that the banks are adhering to these regulations and they're assuming that the banks need the Fed for liquidity. The banks can't provide their own liquidity. Let's get to this next part, which I highlighted. A major issue common to all banking systems is that runs will be much faster compared to earlier periods, given the greater ease of withdrawals with more online real-time banking. This is ridiculous. I, I heard this over and over and over and over again during the whole March 2023. How, oh my gosh, well now you can just go right to your cell phone and you can just transfer money out. You don't have to go down to the bank anymore and fill out a form and ask for your cash. Come on, come on guys. Let, let's, <laughs> why, why I have such a hard time with that is because in my view, that argument conflates two completely separate things, right? The problem or one of the problems with Silicon Valley Bank, we'll use them as the poster child, is not that people went down and said, hey, I've got $100,000 with you. And I think you're going bust. So give me my green pieces of paper. That is not what happened. That is not what happened. What happened is they said, hey, I think you're going bust. So I'm going to take my money out of your bank, not by taking cash, green pieces of paper, but by simply transferring my money from Silicon Valley Bank over to Wells Fargo. Okay, correct me if I'm wrong. But way back, I mean, when I got into business or even thought about it, this would have been the late 1990s. So I know some of you on the live stream are probably a little bit older than I am. So correct me if I'm wrong, but I think this goes all the way back to the 80s, the 70s, maybe even the 60s. When if you, if you wanted to move your money out of a bank, you wouldn't have to go down to the bank and get a suitcase full of green pieces of paper and then take those green pieces of paper to another bank. What are we talking about here? This isn't, this isn't the 1800s. For heaven's sakes. No, you'd simply call the bank, say, hey, yeah, I'd like to do a wire. I think hopefully you guys have heard of that. I'd like to wire $100,000 from my account with you to Wells Fargo. Great. It'll be done in an hour, two hours. Fantastic. Thank you. Bye. Took 30 seconds. What's the difference between that and just doing it on an app? I mean, yes, the app and it gets, let's say it's done and I don't know when the transaction settles. I would assume the settlement is, is pretty much the same. But it takes people the exact same amount of time, maybe a 30 seconds more, to just call the bank and execute the wire as to just do it on your cell phone. So this whole argument that, oh my gosh, we're entering this new world where we're going to have all these bank runs because you can just transfer money out of a, a bank just by a click of a button. And then they compare that to going down to the bank and withdrawing the cash. This is apples to oranges here. 
This is total apples to oranges. And yes, it might be slightly faster, but that is not what caused Silicon Valley Bank to go bust. Let's just, let's just get that straight here. Anyway, getting back to this, they say because of this, contagion will be larger given the faster spread of information through social media. Finally, analysis uh, place too little emphasis on inadequate inadequacy of current lender of last resort regimes. I, I mean, look, I, I think whether they acknowledge this or not, or whether this is their intention, where this simply leads is everything going to the Fed's balance sheet. I, I don't know why we're sitting here playing footsie with the inevitable. I mean, wh why don't we just rip the Band-Aid off here? And, and me, this is me talking to these regulators because they have to know that if we continue to have these issues, if they continue to set up tool after tool after tool after tool after, after tool, it's going to get to a point where the, the, the Fed is liquidity, they actually are liquidity, and the banks are not willing to lend to each other, not because they can't provide the liquidity, but because the risk is too high, and they're excusing the Fed's balance sheet, and the Fed's just going to come out and say, hey, what are we doing here? Why, why are we all just going around this merry-go-round here? Let's just stop. There's a broken record. Let's just take everything onto the Fed's balance sheet. That, that's where this ends here. So I don't know why they don't come out and just propose that. Because what is the difference, really, between what they're saying here and moving everything to the Fed's balance sheet? When they say we need more tools, more tools, more tools, we need to find out how we can be better lenders of last resort. How is that any different than just taking baby steps toward this end game that I just described? All right, now let's move on to another report. And this goes to show you how just completely clueless. Now, I don't know if the people who wrote this are just stupid or they're malicious or a little bit of both. I'll, I'll let you be the judge. Like it's like the global elite. They're either stupid or evil or a lot of times both, but I'll let you make that call. And the reason why I say in this case, the, these uh, individuals are uh, either stupid or I should either ignorant or lying, maybe ignorant and manipulating is because of this. They talk about how we just need to have better uh, regulations, better regulations, better regulations. That's one of their maybe three or four pronged approach to tackling this problem, according to them. But let's go back to what the Federal Reserve themselves was saying about the number one regulation that even the average Joe and Jane knows about. It's something you hear over and over and over and over and over again. And it's something that the Fed has talked about even as late as 2020. Remember when they came out? They came out guns a-blazing. And they said, guys, we are going to prop up the market. We are so serious about propping up the market and providing liquidity. We are going to take the reserve requirement all the way down to zero. That's how serious we are. Now, if you ever thought I was exaggerating when I say all this nonsense is a total psyop, I offer you proof right here. See, that was 2020. That would have been 18 years after this report from the Federal Reserve themselves. This is not from Alex Jones. This is not from George Gammon. This is from the New York Fed. Let me go ahead and read you the title. Are reserve requirements still binding? Overview. The authors present evidence, evidence, not a hypothesis, evidence that reserve requirements now constrain commercial banks and other depository institutions to a much smaller degree than in the past. And in fact, if we read the whole article, 
which, which you can. Again, it's at newyorkfed.org. Just type that in to Google with our reserve requirements still binding. And the conclusion that they come to is they've ceased, ceased been binding. So they're, they're no longer constrained at all, not just they're a smaller degree of constraint. It's that the constraint is gone. Hey guys, I want to remind you to check out Rebel Capitalist Pro. This is the incredible online investment forum that I have with investment experts, Lynn Alden and Chris McIntosh. It includes professionals such as Patrick Serezna from Macro Voices. He specializes in options. Jason Hartman, real estate. And Brent Johnson with Macro Economics. If you want to build wealth and thrive in this world of out-of-control central banks and big governments, Rebel Capitalist Pro is the resource you need. So check it out today at georgegammon.com forward slash pro. That's georgegammon.com forward slash pro. We'll see you inside with the fellow rebel capitalists that are taking their investing to the next level. Let's keep going here. They attribute the diminished force of the regulatory, uh, the requirements largely to the spread of sweep arrangements. Now you'll love this, a banking innovation that allows depository institutions to shift funds out of customer accounts subject to reserve requirements. <laughs> and for those of you who watch the channel or have been watching it for years or my whiteboards, you've heard me talk about this over and over and over and over and over again. How they set up these sweep accounts to get around the reserve requirements so they could do as many loans as they wanted, no matter how many stupid reserves they had. And this explains why the bank reserves quite didn't go up from 1980 to 2007. It's because the banks weren't using them at all. And this is just further proof. Let's go, let's keep going here. The authors then argue that as reserve requirements have become less binding or not binding at all, banks have been able to economize on volt cash holdings that they use to satisfy, or bank reserves, they use to satisfy a large part of these requirements. Indeed. And, and by, you know, I think that's interesting as well. Because uh, the reserves that I always talk about, when I go over these charts here, like this one, where it shows that bank reserves are pretty much the exact same from 1980 to 2007. Keep in mind, this includes vault cash. It includes vault cash. So it's not just bank reserves that they have on the Fed's balance sheet. It's also green pieces of paper that they're holding on to to give to clients when the clients want cash as opposed to the electronic digits that are in their bank account. So are we somehow going to assume that banks are using those reserves to settle with other banks? No, they're not using vault cash for heaven's sakes. They're, they're just going to use the reserves that they have at the Fed or, shocker, nothing at all. <laughs> they're just, they're not, excuse me. And when I say nothing at all, obviously they're settling, but nothing involving the Fed. They're just using their own balance sheet for heaven's sakes, but they're not using the green pieces of paper or the bank reserves on that balance sheet. They're just simply extending credit to one another. That's all this is. It's just ledger entries, like Snyder says. All right, let's get back to the fun here. So uh, let's see, less binding. Banks have been able to economize on vault cash, okay, that they use to satisfy a large part of the card. Now here's the kicker, guys, right here. Let me go ahead and highlight it. Indeed, banks now appear 
to be managing their cash flows more in accordance with business needs than with regulatory obligations. Who would have thunk? Who would have thunk that the banks don't care about regulation? They'll fi find a way around it. That the only thing that constrains the banks, the only thing that constrains the banks, let me just say that one more time, is risk. That's it. If they are presented with an opportunity where the risk reward makes sense, it doesn't matter about reserve requirements, obviously. And remember, this was 2002. So why should it matter about SLR? Why should it matter about Basel III? It, that, that doesn't, maybe it does, but I think the proof that we have, and right here, right here, is that the banks will do whatever they want to do, regardless of these regulations, you see? So the fact that these people that did this report are talking about how they need better regulations, again, it's evidence that they're either completely clueless or they're lying to themselves or they're intentionally lying to you. Further proof is that when Jerome Powell comes out in 2020 and says, hey guys, we're really gonna get aggressive here uh, propping up these markets and providing liquid, we are gonna get, wow, prepare. Just well, hopefully you're sitting down for, the, for this one. We are going to drop reserve requirements down to zero from 10%. You know, you know, Jerome Powell has read this report from 2002, 18 years later or 18 years earlier. You think that Jerome Powell, when he came out and said that in 2020, truly believed that that would do anything? You think with as much insider information as he has, he still believed that the 10% reserve requirement did anything? Of course he didn't. Of course he knew that that was a total moot issue. So why did he come out and act as though it was a big deal? As though that he was doing that to aggressively support markets? Because they're all about psyops. If you haven't come to that conclusion, if you don't get that by now, dude, I I've got you some oceanfront property in Arizona. I'd love to sell you. And I, I hate to give you the tough love here, but you're just, you're living in a fantasy world. I, I mean, you're truly just walking around here in the, uh, uh, trying to look at macro through the lens of an ostrich who has his head buried in the stand. <laughs> oh, but wait. But wait, there is more. <laughs> oh, man, excuse me. So now let's look at what's happening in China. Because if you haven't heard, China is collapsing. There, there's, there's no other way around it here. China is completely collapsing. I probably should save this for a separate video, but this ties into exactly what we're saying. They're collapsing to such a degree that they have come out and said that they're going to start buying stocks. Now, what's interesting and Josh, you let me know if you've heard other people talking about this, is they're using offshore bank accounts to try to bring in funds to buy stocks, which tells me they, they, they might be trying to import dollars. That This might have a two-pronged approach here. That they're thinking, hey, we want to prop up the stock market by buying stocks, but we're not going to do that with yuan. We're going to do that by bringing dollars into the country. And therefore, it kind of kills two birds with one stone. We'll save that for a separate video. Let's go over to this Zero Hedge article that talks about one of the strategies that the PBOC is talking about, and that's the central bank in China. They're talking about lowering reserve requirements by 50 basis points. Oh, yes, you heard right. So instead of reserve requirements being, what was it, 
11% or something. I don't know what it was before, but now it has dropped down to 10.5%. So now let me ask you the question here. <laughs> if Jerome Powell taking rates from 10% down to 0% in 2020, if he knew that was total bullshit, excuse my French, let's just call a spade a spade here. If he knew that was total bullshit, you think that the Chinese don't know that a 50 basis point drop is, 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 <laughs> I don't even know what's more extreme than BS. It's just total nonsense. It's total nonsense. If what Jerome Powell was doing was a psyop, this is, I mean, this is like some sort of Alfred Hitchcock movie. <laughs> Oh man, this would make, this would make Klaus Schwab blush right here. But the main point that I'm trying to make guys is that when you read these reports, whether it's this brand new one right here that we're talking about that tries to explain why the banks went bust and tries to give policy prescriptions or one from 2002 or from one in China, the conclusion that you've got to come to is very, very simple. It's that the Fed revolves around the banks. The banks do not revolve around the Fed. They don't revolve around their regulations and they don't revolve around their balance sheet. The only thing that the banks revolve around is perceived risk. That's it. That's it. So anything that you hear to the contrary coming from the central planners is either completely ignorant or it's malicious trying to get you to believe something that isn't true trying to manipulate you to try to take some sort of action to try to manipulate you to do their bidding a psychological operation a psyop is pretty much all the central banks are right now during normal times all right, guys, enjoy the rest of your afternoon. As always, make sure that you're standing up for freedom, liberty, free market capitalism. If you haven't got your tickets yet, you got to check out Rebel Capitalist Live. Just spoke with Mike Green. He's getting his flight set up. He's super excited to speak and talk to everyone at the cocktail parties. Uh, Jeff Snyder, uh, you got Barnes is going to be there. Kenny's going to be there. The whole crew. You're going to absolutely love it. It's going to be the best Rebel Capitalist Live yet. That's May 31st in Orlando. Got to get your tickets now because the prices go up the closer we get to the event. Get those tickets at rebelcapitalistlive.com. All right, guys. We'll see you in the next video.